Welcome to the Chi Alpha UNC podcast. We're excited that you've decided to stop by. Today we begin a new series on the parables of Jesus. For all who have ears, let them hear. Today, Jacob Holiday starts us out with the parable of the soils. Jesus tells us without understanding of this parable, we cannot understand any of the others. This message was recorded on September 28, 2023 at Gunter Hall at the UNC campus. Please join us every Thursday at 7 p.m. at the UNC campus. All are welcome. Come as you are, leave as a new creation. Guys, as we told you last week, we are starting a new series tonight. Who's excited? Yeah. Man, and I am really, really excited for the opening to our series. Uh, man, this man, let me tell you something about the, let me tell you something about the person that's about to come speak. You guys ready? You guys ready for this guy? Some say he rode in on a tornado up from Texas. He rode it like a bucking bronco all the way to Greeley, Colorado, because he heard that there was a campus that needed to be reached. And on the way, on the way, he successfully rescued a baby whale. And, and, and while, he was, while he was coming up to Greeley, Colorado, he, he, uh, he solved world hunger. And, and they, say, they say that where he's walked, if you can pick up some of the dirt from where he's walked, you can actually use that as currency in most of the world. It's pretty incredible. He can make a steak out of any animal. It's amazing. It's amazing. So I want you to, to shake this place with the amount of applause that you give this guy. I want to welcome up. Jacob Dakota Holiday! Wow, wow, wow. Wow. Oh, there's some feedback. There we go. Wow, so much love. So much love. I'm probably going to need that water later. Oh, well, how is everyone? All right, there we go. I was going to say, I was like, wow, after that, I'm like, I, I probably know the answer, but you just, you just can't be too sure. <laughs> wow. So good to see, well, I can't see y'all, but I can see y'all, so that's good. I, 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 by faith, I know you're there. That's good. That's all that may, yeah, praise God, as long as you can see Jesus, we're going to be okay. All right. Well, right on, as Duncan said, we're starting our new sermon series, right? The parables of Jesus, right? Or as we like to, or as we're going to call it, for, for, the, for they that have ears to hear, let them hear. Right? Right? That's right. For, for those who have ears to hear, let them hear. So that's what, that's what we're going to be getting into for the next, well, the rest of the semester. You're going to be able to not just hear from me, praise God. You're going to be able to get to hear from Samantha. Yeah. Come on. That's right. And you're going to get to hear from Dunk. Yeah. Hunky Dunky. That's right. All right. Well, so we're, we're going to have some fun. We're going to attempt our best to unpack the parables of Jesus. They are dense meat filled with so much awesomeness. So I'm going to do my best tonight to do that. Now I know that there's, uh, there's some of us, that or there's some people here that haven't actually met me, right? So um, I figured I should introduce myself a little bit, right? So as, as you all know, I was, uh, my name is Jake Holiday, right? Hi, hello. Not to be confused with the even, even more attractive Jacob Peck. That's it. That's right. Who will leave you feeling peckish? That's for sure. 
Um, ah, but oomph. No, sorry. Um, where's Cade? Where's I need that? Um, sorry. But no. So a little bit about myself. Now I know for a, for a moment we're going to get a little heavy. Just going to paraphrase that for right now. My story is not exactly normal, and it's not exactly a fun one. Um, but Jesus has made it wonderful, right? So the Lord has kept me for 12 years at this point. But before that, um, I was a mess. I was a hot mess. I come from a broken family. My parents were very abusive to one another. Thankfully, they weren't really abusive to me, um, but as the only child, I was the one who got to break up all the, all the fistfights. So it made things a little tense, to say the least. And then with that only child, a lot of trauma, stuff like that, I ha- struggled with a lot of depression. Uh, suicidal thoughts, right? I, I tried to kill myself about five times from the ages of nine and 20. Um, if you're going to notice my tone of voice is a little chipper, it's because it didn't happen. So praise God for that, right? So uh, I can look back at my past and not get beat up about it because, well, Jesus has redeemed it. So, right, praise him. Thank you, Jesus. But yeah, I had a rough time, right? And then I got to college, and I mixed in with all this trauma and stuff, and I didn't even know how to be me because I was just trying to have friends, being lonely, and just being whoever it is I thought my friend group wanted me to be, so I get to college. I get introduced to this crazy group called Chi Alpha, right? I mean, praise God, right? And they literally, for two years, shared the gospel with me and loved the literal hell out of me, right? And like, two years, they, I shared the gospel with me, I don't even know how many times I heard it, but I was too hard to actually receive it. And eventually, I got sick and tired of being sick and tired, hit rock bottom, and the Lord met me there. And he completely set me free from all the addictions that I had, all the voices in my head, all the suicidal thoughts and depression. Now, sure, I've had hard times since then. I'm not like you know, perfect or anything like that. I, heck, th- just the last few days leading up to this, I've been anxious. So, I mean, by all means, the Lord's still doing, all, still doing a work. And in the course of this last 12 years, I have not made it easy for him. I have been an absolute turd at times, an absolute turd, right? He has told me not to do things, and I went and did them, right? As Paul says in Romans 7, I did the things I didn't want to do, and I didn't do the things I should have done, and I was at odds with myself. But in spite of all these things and all these circumstances and all the things that the enemy of purpose for evil, all the things that should have sidetracked me like they did a lot of my family members, I stand before you today as a child of God, not because of anything that I've done, but because of the grace of God and everything that Jesus has done. Right? So thank you, Jesus. Right? So, like I said, we're getting into the parable, so I get to start us off. But before we get into the parable of the sower, I'm going to ask a simple question, why parables, right? Because it's just like, Jesus, you could just be straight up with us, right? Come on, like, why, why, why won't you just, you know, stop, talk straightly to us? And well, Jesus actually, resp- his disciples asked him that and answered him. In Matthew 13, verses 10 through 12, his disciples came and asked him, why do you use parables when you talk to the people? And he replied, you are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but others are not. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given, and they will have an abundance of knowledge. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. So we see here, um, so there's two sides of this, and I'm sure there's many more sides, but I'm going to touch on two sides on why Jesus used parables. The first of them, he's trying to describe eternal, infinite concept to people with finite temporal minds. In other words, we're just too dumb. No offense on anybody, I'm in this boat. And compared to God, we're dumb, right? And that's okay. That means we don't have that standard. So, 
But because of that, he brings them down to our level and explains it with normal stories so we can actually understand these incredible heavenly concepts that otherwise would just, just go right over our heads. So thank you, Lord, for your grace and coming down for us. Right? And another reason is that the Holy Spirit tends to give us understanding based on our motives. That's how he gives, inter- that's, how, that's how he, um, that's usually how we get our, own, our interpretation, is that um, are we, depending on how we go into this is what we get out of it. If we go into these parables humbly seeking truth, seeking to know Jesus, I promise you, you will find him. But if we go to these parables with selfish motives, just trying to either debunk Christianity or trying to even, probably worse, trying to validate our own sinful desires or trying to make some prideful thing, well, guess what? You're just going to be hardened towards it. Or as, uh, as Spurgeon says, um, I love this, this quote's awesome, is that the same sun which melts the wax hardens clay and the same gospel which melts some, some persons to repentance hardens others in their sin. This is the sun we're talking about. And tonight, and for the remainder of the semester, one of those two things will happen. You will either be humbled or hardened. You'll either find life or death. And I'm praying, and I'm hopeful, knowing what the Lord's done in my life, you're all going to find life, and life everlasting. Amen. Okay, so I'm talking about the parable of the sower, right? So why this parable, right? That's a pretty, I mean, there's, trust me, there's a lot. There's like, I think there's like 60, between 46 and 60, depending on how you look at them, right? So why this one? Well, I chose this one. Well, first of all, Mark 4.13, Jesus says pretty clearly at the, end of, at the end of this, he says, if you can't understand the meaning of this parable, how will you understand all the other parables? So there's actually some pretty good precedent for understanding this parable, so that we, hopefully we can understand some more of the other ones. And secondly, I just love this parable. I'm just going to be straight up. I love this one, and it keeps my heart in check all the time, especially when I start complaining a lot, which if you, if you ever meet, get to talk to my wife, I am kind of a serial complainer at times, and she is very kind with me. And so, and she points me to Jesus, and I have a lot of brothers and sisters here that do the same thing. So thank you, Lord, for, for, for good friends and a great wife. So you, this, this parable tends to put my heart in check when I start complaining about circumstances or when I start getting puffed up and prideful. So we're going to get into this. So we're going to read. Uh, it's going to be a big chunk of scripture, but I'm trying to try to break it up a little. So Matthew 13, verses 2 through 9 and 18 through 23. And if you see things in parentheses, what I did is Mark and Luke also had the parable to sower, and they had a little bit more, uh, some other descriptions. So I just added them all in one, one section of verses, so that way we get a fuller picture. Cool? All right, so starting in verse 2. Such large crowds gathered around Jesus that he got into a boat and sat in it. And while all the people stood on the shore, then he told them many, many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow a seed. And as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, where it was trampled on, and the birds came and ate it up. And some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil or moisture. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plant was scorched, and they withered because they had no root. And other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it, and choked the plants. And still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. All right, now, first of all, y'all still with me? You good? Okay, all right. So now, what's so cool about this parable is Jesus actually explains it, which is, it, this is rare in, in his parables. So we're going to, now we're going to read that, right? Verses 18 through 23. Then Jesus said, listen then to what the parable of the sower means. 
The seed is the word of God. And when anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart so that they may not believe and be saved. This is the seed sown along the path. And the one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the person who hears the word at once and receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. And when times of testing, trouble, and persecution come, come because of the word, they do not mature and quickly fall away. And the one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word. But as they go on their way, the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, and the desires for other things making it unfruitful. But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the person who hears the word and understands it. And they produce a crop by persevering, yielding 160 and 30 times what was sown. Thank you, Lord. So before I, can, before I continue, I'm going to pray real quick, if that's all right. Cool? Jesus, we need you. And we love you. We thank you so much that you're with us in this room. Your word says, and you say, Jesus, where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am. So, Lord, we know the king is in the room. So, Jesus, we pray, the Holy Spirit, that you would give us understanding to your word. That, Lord, you would draw our hearts and minds to you, Lord God, and that we would see you more clearly as to who, who you are, and that we would come to you humbly, Lord God, and put you on the rightful place at the throne of our heart. Lord, we love you, and we thank you, Jesus. Please speak through me, to me, and to all of us, O oh God. We give you all the glory and praise, and all the things that I'm even forgetting to pray for, we give them to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Right on. So now having read this parable, and even reading Jesus' explanation of the parable, I'm not going to try to belabor the points that Jesus already talked about. What, I, what, what I'm hoping to do tonight is to unpack some of the specific components of the soil and how they correlate with a faithful farmer who is Jesus. Right? So, okay, we're going to get into the first soil, the wayside path, the hard soil. Right? Matthew 13, 4 and 18 through 19, just for some uh, context. Some seed fell along the path where it was trampled on. And the birds came and ate it up, and the seed is the word of God. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart, so that they may not believe and be saved. This is the seed sown along the path. So, simple question, what makes the soil on the path so hard? Right? I mean, uh, spoiler alert, Luke, 5, Luke 8, 5 says it pretty clearly. And I already put it in parentheses. It's because it was trampled on. It was walked on time after time after time. And if you've ever seen a path cut through some vegetation, you know that all that constant repetition will kill everything that it touches. You just keep destroying and destroying. And paths are usually formed either by like diligently clearing vegetation or just by using it over and over and over to where there's no life left. Now, um, the unfortunate and heartbreaking truth is that our hearts are often hardened in the same way. They're trampled on. And I understand this more than I would like to, as I, as I shared in my testimony, but I would also admit that there are people in this room who have been trampled on even more than myself. And some of you are here tonight. And many of us have been trampled on through trauma, betrayal, gossip, feeling forgotten, abandoned, or discarded, or even all the horrible forms of verbal, physical, mental, sexual, and spiritual abuse. I myself have been, I've encountered all of those in my life. And perhaps this trauma has even been inflicted on you by those claiming to be Christians, or in what claim to be a church. And I just want to say, first of all, that I'm so sorry. That is not my Jesus. 
Now, psychologically, the most common response to trauma, especially prolonged trauma, I have my degree in psychology, so I guess I might have some validation for this. Not really. Um, but I do have a degree, so it helps. But psychologically, the most common response to trauma, over, especially over time, is that we become like this path, and we harden ourselves. And we learn to cope by turning off our emotions and, our, and getting rid of attachments. That way we don't open ourselves up to the same pain again and being betrayed. Or, like myself, we deflect away. And we fill our lives with being busy and serving others. Also, we look good, right? So that, that way, if we just make enough people laugh or enough people smile, no one asks and actually asks you how you're really doing. And that way, we don't have to process the pain that's so, that so haunts us. Lest we ever have to experience that level of pain again, so we just serve ourselves to death. Now, I want to say this to all of those who have had their hearts trampled on. These traumas were not God's will for your life. Especially those who were hurt by those claiming to be Christians. Those people do not represent Jesus or who he really is. Their actions show who their true master is, namely Satan, who seeks to steal, kill, and destroy the seed of the gospel away from your hearts. And I promise you, he's going to try this very night to do the same thing. So let us be, let's have our guards up. As the old saying goes, familiarity breeds contempt, and often another trampling that comes about. Not so much the trauma, it's what happens when we hear sermon after sermon after sermon, podcast after podcast, motivational speech or whatever you want to, whatever you want to talk about. What happens is that we hear the word of God so many times that we start hardening to it until it finally gets to a point to where it can't even penetrate our hearts. And we, it stays up here, I know so many people who can quote to me so many Bible verses. A lot of them are atheists, right? Just knowing the Bible doesn't mean anything. It just, but what really matters is not so much knowing only the Bible, but it's experiencing Jesus, right? Because we can't have one without the other because Jesus is the living word, right? So then what is Jesus like? Well, let us look unto him, right? Hebrews 12, 2 and 3, some of my favorite verses in all, all Scripture, says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So I have a question. Don't you see Jesus? He was trampled under the feet of us all, all the sins that were committed against us and all the sins that we have committed against him. He took them all in the full punishment that we deserved. And he, he well, yeah, that's not all. He was betrayed by his closest friends. He was stripped naked. He was abused. He was mocked, beaten, spitten upon, bloodied and killed for you and me. You have a Savior, a Lord, a God, who is Jesus, who knows exactly all of the hurt that you've been through. He knows the deepest forms of betrayal, the deepest forms of feeling discarded when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Father, where are you? He took the ultimate thing. He had, the, he had God, turn, God the Father turn away from him, so that way no matter what happens, God the Father will never turn away from us. And I want to tell you what, I don't care how bad 
the things have gotten in your life, the Lord will make something beautiful out of it. Or another way to put it, He will make something beautiful out, out of whatever manure is in your life, no matter how bad it stinks. Right? Praise God. Right? Yeah, I, 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 I let that sink in a little. Yeah. All right, Genesis 50, 20, my favorite verse. Many of you, if you know me, you probably heard me say it. But it's Joseph talking to his brothers after his brothers sold him into slavery, tried to kill him, and absolutely tried to ruin his life. And it's at the end of the time, Joseph is the second in command over all of Egypt, and he has all the power to just destroy them. And he looks at his brothers and he says, what you intended for evil, God intended for good, that I may be brought to the position I am in right now to save many lives. And I want to tell you, all of you, just as, I, just as the Lord has told me, I don't care what the enemy has purposed for evil in your life. If you give it to Jesus, he will use it for good and redeem the most horrible of things. I've seen it in my own life. I've seen it in my friends. And he can and will do it for you if you give him a chance. You just give it to him as your Lord. So that's the first soil. That's the path, right? So the rocky soil, the shallow soil, right? Matthew 13, 20 through 21 says that the one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the person who, heard, who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. And when the te- time of testing and trouble and persecution comes because of the word, they do not mature and they quickly fall away. So now that we're going to talk about the rocky soil, I'm going to talk about three things quickly within the rocky soil. We're going to talk about the soil or the person's response, what the rocks could be, and the importance of being rooted. All right, so the response. They responded with joy and then quickly fell away. This person responded to the gospel with joy and appeared to grow quickly, but then when hardship came, they fell away. And unfortunately, I've seen this way too many times. I've seen it in my own life at times when I first got plugged into Chi Alpha and then I left for a whole year so I could go party. Right? Completely rejected all the guys who were loving, the, who were just loving me so well and accepted me for who I was so I could just go satisfy my own flesh. I've seen it in my small group. I've seen it in my wife's small group. I've seen it in so many other of my friends' lives and my friends' friends. Because the thing is, is that you just don't really know until the whole, the whole course has happened, right? So the thing is, is that I want to point out too, is that neither, it wasn't this person's emotional response of joy, nor their fast growth that was the problem. Some of the most incredible, powerful works of God, world changers for Jesus, have, have had such an encounter of incredible joy and radical growth. That's not the issue. The issue was the lack of deep roots. And if our hearts are filled with rocks, we can never have the gospel penetrate deep enough in our hearts to endure the hardships of life. Right? So let me give you this, so let me give a moment's encouragement as well. There are some times when, let's say we have a family member, and you, you just, you come to, you know, you know and love Jesus, and you want them to know and love Jesus, right? Sometimes it's a, sometimes it's a parent, sometimes it's a friend, an aunt, an uncle. There are so many people we want to know Jesus, and we just keep praying, and we keep praying, and we keep praying, and we don't see anything happening, and we get frustrated. We almost want to stop. But let me give you this encouragement, perhaps, what appears to be a lack of growth on the surface is actually because there's a deeper growing of the roots going beneath the surface. And in due time, if we will continue with this, we will see fruit come about and actually show itself. I've seen that happen. So do not give up 
on them. You might be the only person praying for them. All right, now secondly, so what are the rocks, right? Secondly, the rocks, right? Now let me tell you, this section rocks. Come on, lighten up a little bit. Goodness gracious. Wow, that's a hard crowd. Hard crowd, no. Um, all right, so what are the rocks, right? Right. That's right, hard as rocks, that's right. All right, so, so what is it that causes a person to be shallow and lack depth? I think we've all met people that are like, wow, that guy's shallow. That, wow, what a piece of work, right? My gosh, some of you have probably dated them. Um, just make sure, oh, ooh, ooh, ouch. All right, so we're going to get into this now, all right? So, all right, so what, what could the rocks be, right? Now, this is by no means an exhaustive list, but the big one that comes out to me that we can see in everybody, but we seldom see in ourselves, is pride. It's a hyperfixation on ourselves, right? That's what pride is. Right? One of the main things that makes us shallow is that all we think about is ourselves. How, how narrow of a worldview do we have if all we do is think about me? I'm like, my gosh, like, that's a sad world. Right? Or to quote C.S. Lewis, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking of yourself less. That's humility, which means on the flip side that pride is not just thinking highly of yourself. It's thinking of yourself all the time and making everything about you. And let me tell you this, I cannot tell you how many times that I've done this very thing that I'm about to explain. And I, when, when I first got clubbed upside the head with this truth, it put me, it hurt me in a, in a right way. So there are so many times in my life when I have played the victim, right? Let's say, man, I was, before I met Callie, I was single for 10 years reluctantly, okay? So when I say I tried to get dates and I got turned down, it happened more often than not, okay? So... Every time I would get rejected. Every time I wouldn't make as much money as I wanted to at work. Every time I got cut off. Any time someone made fun of me or said something wrong about me, I would play the victim and I would start self-deprecating. Well, maybe if I wasn't so fat. Well, maybe if I didn't have the acne. Well, maybe if I was just a little smoother with my words. Maybe if I would have studied a little bit more and not been such a freaking turd and procrastinate all the time and I just kept hitting myself over and over deprecating and deprecating and the thing is is that is pride because it's all about you and it's something to be repented of right because the proper response for that is man I didn't get that date well Lord I guess you have something better planned let me tell you he did um right praise him mm. praise him that's right right that's a proper response. We give glory to him. We be thankful in all circumstances. Ah, oh, man, I messed up on the test. Well, I know what I can do better next time. And that's all right, because in the, in the grand scheme of eternity, I'm still a child of God. doesn't affect my eternity, right? And let me tell you what, all the tests that I was worried about in college, I can't remember a single one of them. And if you're not going to remember it in five years, then what's the big deal of stressing out about it? Right? It's not about you. It's about Jesus. Right? So the fact is, is that... I would say that this hyperfixation on self is not only a root of pride. And I'm going to step on some toes here in the next few minutes. This hyperfixation on self is not just the root of pride. I believe it's the root of almost all anxiety and depression as well. Think about it. It's like drive. I, I, I like cars, so this is an analogy that works for me. Hopefully it works for you. Anxiety and depression are like driving a car where instead of having a windshield, all you do is you have a big rearview mirror taking up the whole thing. 
And when you look ahead, all you can see is yourself. And all you can see in that mirror is what, what happened in your past. You're looking behind you and you're looking at you, but you're not actually looking at anything. Right? When you look ahead and all you see is yourself, and that's your destination. Wherever you put your eyes when you're driving a car, that's where you're going. And if all I see is me, I have no hope. I, if I have ever messed up or made a mistake, I'm not qualified, right? I'm already, I'm already, it's not going well, okay? It's not going well at all. And if all I have to look forward to is more of me, I got no hope because I know how broken I am. I know how much I've messed up. And if all I have to look at is my past, which I've already described in minor detail, I got nothing, I got no hope either. And on the other side of this, that's the depression component. The anxiety component comes in when all you see is a mirror and you're driving forward and you have no idea where you're going. And you're so anxious because you can't see where you're going because all you're looking at is yourself. That's anxiety. It's all about the future. Whereas our Lord lives in the present. We don't need to worry about the past. That's been paid for. We don't need to worry about the future. He's got it all under control. And presently, he's still working. And he's still doing beautiful things in our lives, even if we can't see it. Right? But if we make Jesus our Lord, and all of a sudden the focus isn't on me, and I'm not looking through a mirror, but all of a sudden Jesus is now the one driving the car. I'm sitting, in, I'm sitting at best in the passenger seat, probably in the trunk. But let's be real. Because backseat driving, it happens. Even, I even do it to Jesus. And I'm sorry, Lord. Right? It just it happens. Um, thankfully, he's graceful. Um, but how much more peaceful is it? You might not, I might not know where, I don't know where he's taking me. But when I look to him and I see him at peace, I, I know he knows where he's going. He's driving the car. I'm not worried about it in my past because I can't even see the rearview mirror. I'm just looking at him. I'm not looking in the mirror because I'm looking at him. And when I look at him and I see his peace and I see his sovereignty, I see his goodness, I got nothing to worry about. He's got it all under control. That's peace. That, that'll kill any anxiety or depression you got. It might take some time, but I promise you, Jesus can do it. Another thing that happens, and I'm going to step on some more toes, is, um, sorry if you didn't wear steel toes, um, but uh, is another thing that the rocks can be is unyielded rights. We are often unwilling, when we are often unwilling to trust Jesus with every area of our lives. Usually when we make him Lord, we just say, you can have most of it, right? But if we refuse to make him Lord of all, then we live as though he's not Lord at all, right? So, and I'll be the first to admit that there are areas, even areas that I have been convicted about today and this week, presently, that I ha I've had to give back to Jesus because I was afraid of my rights not being satisfied. Most of my rights that I feel entitled to and I feel that I must provide, I must provide those are the things that will absolutely destroy you. Now, here's a small but thorough list from Winky Prattney that I think is pretty good at describing the rights that we have a hard time giving up. We have provision. Are we going to have what we need? Possessions. Am I going to get what I want? Acceptance. Are people actually going to like me? Accomplishments. Are people going to think I'm awesome? Am I going to get the pat on the back I've been looking for? Safety. Lord, I know you're in control, but I don't know where you're taking me. I don't know if, is that safe? There's no safer place than the will of Jesus. And security. Is my future taken care of? Well, my Bible says that he, he has it all under control. Past, present, and future. 
So my question for you is, what do you find yourself being most concerned with right now? Just think about it. Because if Christ be our Lord and Master, we have no rights, because he is our Master. When we give our lives to him, we, get, we also must give him, the, the, him the, our rights too. And giving him the responsibility over these rights, guess what? They're no longer my problem. They're his problem. And he's going to take care of them all in the best way possible. And the proof of unyielded rights is in the course of the last few minutes, as I've been describing anxiety and depression and these different rights, have any of you grown anxious or angry? If the answer is yes, then you might have some unyielded rights. You might have some rocks in your heart that need to be taken out. So something to think about. Lord, give us insight. Thirdly, and lastly, what I think something that might be a rock is unrepented sin. I probably don't need to say much here. If you are living in secret sin, I trust that the Holy Spirit is already putting his finger on it. And you have two choices with this. You can either confess your sins and repent and give your life to Jesus and have eternal life. Or you can continue to give yourself over to that thing and keep it as your master and have death. Because sin promises so much. It promises to fulfill all those rights in so many satisfactory ways. But in the end, all it does is leave you hopeless, hollow, and without any future. It'll steal, kill, and destroy. Right? Sin is an abusive master. Jesus is a kind master who died for you. You can choose your master tonight. And these are just a few of the potential rocks that we can have in our hearts. Right? So now... We're going to get, uh, now we're going to talk about the lack of roots, right? So I want to touch on a couple things. First, they f- I want to say that they fell away quickly. Notice that when Jesus says this. Quickly is not a set time frame. Compared to eternity, quickly can mean less than an hour or 50 or more years, right? All of us must be ruthless against the rocks we have in our hearts. Remember that at the foot of the cross, the ground is level, and that means that for all time and for all people, we are in equal need of Jesus, and this And in this life, we can never say of our sanctification that we are done, that I have arrived. Secondly, notice that the plant was killed by the sun, even though the plant needed the sun to grow. So what is the sun likened to by Jesus? Jesus calls it times of testing, hardships, and persecutions because of the word. And we as Christians, according to Jesus, need these hard times as the sun in order to grow and bear fruit. To put it simply, um, Jesus says that we must pick up our crosses daily. Paul says in Galatians 5.24 that now those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So according to the Bible, we are called to pick up our crosses daily and to crucify our flesh. And I don't know about you, but I don't think there's anybody in this room, I could be wrong, that is strong enough to crucify yourself. Let's say you were really good and you got a nail into both feet. And let's say you had a little bit left in you and you're able to get a nail in another hand. Well, guess what? you still got one hand left. So you know what the Lord does in his mercy that is sometimes severe? He puts circumstances, people, things in our life that get under our skin, that bother us, that just flat out piss us off. And perhaps some of those circumstances and people are given to you by God to help crucify that last bit of your flesh that you aren't strong enough to. And so we can either be mad about it or we can give thanks for him. But I promise you, Jesus will stop at nothing to form you more and more into his image. All right. We're going to start wrapping up here in just a little bit. 
So now we're going to talk about the thorny soil, right? So Matthew 13, 7 and 22. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but as they go on their way, the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, and the desire for other things making it unfruitful. Jesus says that the thorns are the deceitfulness of wealth, bless you, um, the worries of this world and the desire for other things. And I'll be honest with you guys. You know, throughout my life, I've struggled with each one of these soils at periodical times. I've never just stuck in one forever. Um, and lately, this is the one that's been getting me. The deceitfulness of wealth, right? I grew up poor, and I didn't have a whole lot growing up. My dad worked three jobs to try to make, make ends meet. So, so often, I catch myself having this unhealthy desire for more money, this unhealthy desire for nicer things, this un- these, this, this, these attachment things. And as some people will know, I have a catchphrase that my wife just, she doesn't like anymore. But it's, but it's a good deal. <laughs> I think most of us have been, but it's a good deal. Right? And let me tell you, I say that, what, I, Facebook Marketplace is a dangerous place for me. Okay, I, need, I just need to delete it and get away because it's a dangerous place. I'm like, but I can buy it and sell it for more. It's fine. It's fine. But it's not. It's, it's, you know, so, but here's the thing. Let me clarify something. You're not going to be rebuked by Jesus by being concerned for things in life. My gosh, there's things to be concerned about. But doubting Jesus and letting those worries rule you, that's where the problem comes in. Once again, wealth is not bad. But focusing on it and loving it more than Jesus, that's sin. Also, it's not a sin to own nice things. I hope you buy quality. But the problem is that, right, Right? It's okay. It's okay to own nice things. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We know. Um, it's, it's okay to own nice things, but we can't let our nice things own us. Right? Of all the soils, the, the thorns seem to be the most insidious. Note how, how, how when Jesus says the thorns grew up with the plants. That it happened over time, subtly, until the plant was choked and unfruitful. Also notice that the... Um, that this just, it happened so subtly that the plant was never able to mature, was never able to bear fruit, and it just happened like you wouldn't even know it. And now in my life, I've had seasons like this, right? Like I said, I'm kind of, it's easy for me to go through it right now, but from what I've seen in my own life and observing others' lives, is that of all the soils, the people that are in this one are the most miserable. Because they know what they ought to be doing, and they're not doing it. And as James says, that's sin. So here are some obvious examples that I've seen of people, and once again, we're going to step on some toes. So there are people who, who, are, who claim to be committed to Christ, and they're having premarital sex. There are those who are addicted to porn and are not even seeking help. They're just like, yeah, I like this. I'm just going to keep going, but I love Jesus. Right? And then there's those who tell little lies that add up over time. Do I have to keep coming up with more and more excuses to save their butt? Because now they've, they've shown so many lies that they don't even know which one's right. Or, and this one, this one's sensitive, I'll be honest, is that there are people that claim to be a blank Christian, right? You can fill in any sexual identity, political party, religious ideology, whatever you want. Whenever you say, I'm a blank Christian, well, chances are that whatever, you th- that whatever thing you put before Jesus is probably the thing that's actually your Lord. I know people who are Christian because they're Republican, not, you know, not Republican because they're Christian or whatever, however you want to say it, right? 
they're a Christian because it fits their political party. Or they're like, well, I'm going to choose to do this thing, but I'm a Christian. And so what we do un- inadvertently without realizing it most of the time is that in giving ourselves over to these things, we break Jesus' heart by identifying with the very thing that sent him to the cross. Namely, to deliver us from sin and to give us a new identity in him. Not whatever identity you want to put before him. Now, for those who claim to be Christians, who are choked out by the thorns, I don't have authority to say whether you are saved or not. I'm not God. But there's a really good quote from Spurgeon that I think sums this up pretty good. He says, if you are a real Christian and you're on the boat of salvation, then you cannot fall off the boat. But you can fall on the boat, break all of your bones, and spend the whole trip in the infirmary. (laughs) You choose which passage you would like. Right now, if uh, the praise team want to come up, praise team, praise team. All right. So now we're going to talk about the good soil. Matthew thirteen twenty three. But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the person who hears the word and understands it, and they produce a crop by persevering, yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Now, I come from a long line of farmers in my family. Sometimes you'll see me driving around in an old F one fifty. That was my grandpa Chitwood's truck that he bought brand new and it served its whole life as a farm truck that was my mom's dad my grandpa holiday used to tell the story of growing up on a farm in iowa during the great depression and he needed he needed to raise 50 dollars before he was allowed to join the marines in world war ii so he, t- he spent months plowing many different fields in iowa w- with a team of two horses to raise that money so that and then he enlisted at 17 he enlisted at age 17 as a tank operator in the pacific tour These men, and most of my family being farmers, they knew how to make the soil good, to farm and bear fruit, because, well, their lives depended on it. So what is it that makes the soil good? This is not going to be profound after what we just got done talking about. But the soil must be free of weeds, thorns, and rocks. And also, the soil must be broken and plowed. And oftentimes, it will need to be fertilized and watered so that the proper nutrients are in the soil. So not only can the roots grow deep, but the fruit can be healthy. So whose primary job is it to make the soil good? Is it the farmer's job or the soil's job? It's the farmer's job. And I'd like all of us to remember that we are the soil and that the Lord is the farmer. It is our responsibility to hear the word and respond. It is the farmer, Jesus, who breaks up and digs up the soil, who disposes of the rocks and gets rid of it and burns up the thorns. As the soil, we have a responsibility to continually bow to the farmer and ask him to help us in this way. Only God can make us bear much fruit. See, the word of God is like a seed. And the more we read it, the more we listen to it, the more we speak it out of our mouths, the more we act upon it, the deeper and deeper it will work into our hearts, our souls, our minds, and our beings. And the deeper the roots will grow, and the stronger it will be. And the more life will come, and the more fruit there will be, no matter how hard things get. And if, and if this is the farmer who is doing the hard work of making the soil good, then let us look to, unto our faithful farmer, Jesus Christ. Now, I'm sure the Lord has been speaking to many of our hearts tonight in the conditions thereof. Just know that the soils are examples. And eat, you can even be in all the different soils at one time. It's a trip. But you're probably going to be in different soils throughout your life. That's not to be a hopeless thing because the farmer's the one in control and he's going to take out every rock. He's going to make sure that you are softened of heart. 
He's going to make sure that the thorns that have been strangling you and choking you out are taken care of. If you want your heart to be free of hardness, rocks, and thorns, then look unto Jesus. Has your heart been trampled? Look unto Jesus who was trampled on, beaten, and crucified because of our hard and sinful hearts. Do you have a shallow and rocky heart? Then look unto Jesus whose death was met with a tomb under rocky soil and sealed by a great stone. But it could not contain him. And yours will not contain you either if you are with him. Do you have thorns choking your heart? Then look unto Jesus who bore the selfish th our selfish thorns as a crown upon his beautiful and bleeding brow, who suffocated on the cross for our sins. Look unto Jesus, our faithful farmer who is both the sower and the perfecter of our faith. Now this same Jesus said that when one person gives their life to him and they're saved, there is a party that takes place in heaven. And we cannot let them have all the fun. So, I would like to do this. With every eye open, every head raised, if you desire to make Jesus the Lord of your entire life for the first time, or to rededicate your life to him, I would like to invite you to stand up right now in front of everybody that we can welcome you into the family of God. Woo! Let's go! Let's go welcome home welcome home that's what i'm talking about Woo! see what i mean that's what i'm talking about it's rowdy up there it's gonna be rowdy here thank you jesus thank you jesus welcome home y'all can sit welcome home just know that you will always have a family here we're not always going to agree and that's okay but just know that you have a family here you have a family there forever and we love you God loves you so much more. Thank you, Jesus. For all of us in this room, myself included, I want to invite us to respond also. Do not let the enemy steal the seed of the gospel that's in your heart right now. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal what kind of soil is your heart. Ask him to reveal any areas of hardness, any rocks or thorns in your heart. Seek Jesus, and if you will ask him, he will set you free and form you more and more into his image. He will never give up on you. I know in my own life that. All we must do is humble ourselves before him and repent of our sins. Just turn back to him and trust him as our Lord, our master, and our savior. So I'm going to encourage all of us. It's a time of self-reflection and a time of seeking Jesus. Seek God, and if you need prayer, pray for one another. Pray for the... Pray with the person who brought you. Pray. We'll have some small group leaders and staff. Anybody who wants to can go in the back and we'll pray for you. But let's seek the Lord. Let's break up this hard ground and let's seek the Lord. Lord, we love you. God, we need you. God, we thank you so much for having new brothers and sisters in this family. God, we give you the glory. And we ask, God, that you would meet with us tonight. You would reveal these things to us, God, and that we would know you more deeply love you more intimately. God, we love you. We give you all the praise, Jesus. In your mighty, holy, and powerful name, Jesus, we give you all the praise. For more information, please visit xaunc.com.
or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash XAUNC. Our Instagram handle is at XAUNC, and you can find all of our content on our YouTube channel by searching for Chi Alpha UNC. Until next time, may the Lamb who was slain receive the reward of his suffering. <laughs>